Get Puck. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Get Puck Podcast. Vito Matt here with you today. And the Jeff Petrie round tour continues. He is on the move again. But everybody, I mean, I don't know. Actually, I should, I should, I should, I should phrase that differently. Because there was a lot of people that thought he might not move, which was like super perplexing to me. And we'll dive into that in a minute. But just to say to say what has happened in the last day or so, Jeff Petrie has been traded to the Detroit Red, Red Wings um, for a, a fourth round pick in 2025 and Gustav Lindstrom. Conditional um, fourth round pick. Conditional that. being that it is the worst of Detroit or Boston's fourth round, I think. It's the lower. Correct. Yeah. So a few things to unpack here. Number one, it was fun to see the fandom collectively lose their minds for the brief stint that Petrie returned here to be like, is he going to play? Is he not going to play? Is he part of the plan? Is he not part of the plan? What are they going to do with him? Where's he going to go? Should they play him for a bit to raise his stock? This, that, and whatever. Okay. So I contend by saying I never thought he was going to play again for this team. It would have made absolutely no sense by acquiring him back, right? This was just Pittsburgh needing to get rid of the money to accommodate the trade for Carlson. Um, they were obviously not super high on Petrie. He didn't have a great time in Pittsburgh, which made him pretty expendable. But by no means is he a bad defenseman. So coming back and being traded in Montreal, the the idea was, and likely, but we well, likely, we heard through Kent Hughes. He spoke to Petrie, said, I'm going to try to move you as fast as possible. We have no intention of, ba- I'm paraphrasing, of course, but we have no intention of you playing for the team anymore. Hang tight. And so he finally found, um, he finally found a trade partner. Uh, I should mention it is 50% salary retained, which most people suspected was going to be the case in order to move Petrie. Um, so that's for the next two years, two million and change are going to be on the Habs book for this. Uh, but let's talk about what the Habs got, because I think that is something that a lot of people are talking about lately, about they expected more. So so before I dive into my feelings about this, Vito, should these individuals that are out there that are a little upset about the return... Should they take a step back and reflect, or are they right in thinking that this wasn't enough for Petrie? No. They have to look at the whole process, the whole trade package from beginning to end. Though, you know, look at it as the Jeff Petrie trade tree, which, by the way, we uploaded earlier today. Um, Very good. But it was just, uh, you have to look at the whole thing, you know, starting back from when they acquired Matheson um, and a pick for Petrie and Paling. Um, in the end, Petrie played a bit with, with Pittsburgh. He got hurt. He didn't get to really show what he was capable of, not at 100%, but he was still productive enough. And then we reacquired him along with a bunch of other assets for two players that had no place with the Montreal Canadiens anymore. That one was a player. had to that, get rid of. Yes. And one was a player, as we all know, asked for a trade in Rem Pitlick. And the other one was basically, there was literally no space for him. So what Kent Hughes did was create two four opened up two forward spots created some cap space moved some assets around did a lot of really good asset management there to get to where we're at today and it's not done there's still the goaltending situation that we got to keep our eye on there's still possibly Casey mm-hmm. DeSmith we already heard that you know he, he he basically told Casey DeSmith to be patient and either they're going to open a spot for him on the on the Montreal roster yeah, well, obviously, yeah, right. Something's got to so, give there. That was obvious. something's gonna yeah. something's gonna give. So that trade tree, which I'm gonna show it again, is yes. here. So 
you have to look at all of this all together. Now, this is only from the Habs perspective. Uh, it doesn't include Eric Carlson and everything in the three-way trade. Yeah. But well, we're focusing on the Habs here. But yes, that I think this is a and fantastic job, by the way. This was Vito's handiwork for everybody who's taking a peek. So if you like what you see here, make sure to let him know. But ultimately, this tree dating back from the first time Petrie joined the team and what it cost to get him, which, you know, not a great deal when you look at it there. So Petrie and was phenomenal for the majority of the time that he was here for seven, eight years. So that was a win right across the board. And now start breaking it down. Well, yeah, I mean, and think of it, right? We, we yeah. got... We, we got um... Jeff, we traded a second and a fourth back in 2015 to acquire Jeff Petrie. Had many good years. Probably got us. We got his prime years, and then sure. moved him for Matheson. A second, we got a second out of it too. We've gotten a fourth out of it. We've gotten other assets that were equivalent to second, to second, thirds, and fourths. Like they got a significant return for Jeff Petrie and really Mike Hoffman and Rempitlik. I think, I think what you said there, the, the main part is to take a step back and look at this more from a macro perspective than a micro. When you look at it, just Jeff Petrie, just the player, and what he's capable of doing today versus what they got in, which is a pick, which, okay, pick is a pick, what have you, and it's a fourth rounder, so let's not like go nuts here. And then this kid, uh, Gustav Lindstrom, who from Kent Hughes's own presser the other day said that his pro staff says that they feel like this kid has only achieved 70% of his, his potential. They see that he can take another step, and they're hopeful that they can get out of him. And right, so, okay. But, but, but I, before I, I want to attain the, the expectations on that. Yes, too, yes, right? yes. They're not getting a guy who all of a sudden is going to turn into a 1-2 defenseman. I'm not suggesting that. I'm just saying from the perspective of a trade, if you take it out from that micro viewpoint and you look macro and pretend that Jeff Petrie's name was player X this whole time, when you look at it, look at what the actual trade was. You traded um, Mike Hoffman and you traded Rem Pitlick. And they're off the team. One one said, I don't see a place with you guys. I'd like to go in Rem. And the other one was an albatross of a contract and a guy who really just did not fit well here anymore had to roll. So he had to unload two, two, those two guys. And in doing so, like you mentioned, frees up two spots for the young guys to move up and take a place. And gets back. Now, look at it from this perspective. And now we're at the current end of the trade. So what has happened is Mike Hoffman and Rem Pitlick out. They bring in Nathan Legatti, Casey DeSmith. They bring in Gustav Lindstrom and a fourth. Because that's what it is. That's what has happened now. Forget that Jeff Petrie was here. He was mystery X-Man and now he's gone. And it, it was as if he was never here. Very tra transient. So that's what it came down to. So if somebody told you a couple months ago, Mike Hoffman and Rem Pitlick, and you get that kind of a return. Like, would you, you anybody... Forgot, you forgot would about have... the second-round pick, by the way, which is huge, in my opinion. Yes, and the, of course, you're absolutely right. And the second-round pick. So you got a second, a fourth, and Legate, who's in the AHL, probably is going to stay there, so what have you. But still, um, somebody who had to come. They need to bolster the, the, the team in Laval. You can't neglect them, so they send him over. Casey DeSmith, which is either likely going to net you something else in return when you eventually move him, or you keep him and move another goaltender, which is going to get you something else also. So that's still continuous uh, acquisition of, of, of something. You got, you got uh, Lindstrom and a fourth now. I mean, just in terms of how he managed this, 
you ha- I can't see anybody not just giving one of these little golf claps to Ken Hughes. No, he, he I, I won't say he this is a master class, but this is really well. This is a master management. This is a mass master class in asset management. He got rid of two contracts that, while that most people said to get rid of Hoffman's contract, we had to add a sweetener, and we yeah, didn't give for sure. Right? We there was nothing. There was it was no retaining. Bad. No retaining. Nothing. The only contract that was retained was Jeff Petrie's contract, and we didn't retain the first chunk because that was retained by Pittsburgh. We retained. It's like they were. It's yeah. It's like they retained twenty five percent. Yeah. I think it came out. It comes out to about thirty five point or thirty seven percent of Petrie's entire contract what? is what yeah. the retention was on it. Right, uh, something to that effect. But when you look at it in, in the way that we're describing, it was very good asset management. And and if we're gonna jump in on the Gustav Lindstrom. I, I just want to make sure we're not one of those people that are, uh, or those types of fans are going to come out saying they got the next day, the next thing. They got somebody that would fall more as a steady Eddie Edmondson category type of player if he reaches his full ceiling uh, with a bit an above average IQ. That's how I see it with him. Right? He's a right-handed defenseman. It adds to the depth. And it's going to add some competition in camp and. And so on, and so on. You know, he's got 128 games in the NHL uh, in terms of experience already. And the one thing is, is that there's no team in the NHL that drafts out of the Swedish league better than the Detroit Red Wings, and they were willing to let this player go. So that says something about him. But it also says something that our pro scouting, and by ours, I mean the Montreal Canadiens pro scouting, see something in him, and they feel that they could maybe develop him to a certain to a certain point where he can be. A steady NHL player, um, uh, you know, maybe a third pairing guy. Some have suggested, from what I read online from some uh, analysts and whatever, that he's got like peak, peak ceiling. If he hits everything, he's got second pairing potential. I don't see it, but I could be wrong. And uh, even if that's the case, right? Even if that's the case, the, 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 the unspoken thing, or, or at least the thing that is not really being talked about perhaps enough and it needs to is is sort of this outside of the on ice activities of this trade kent hughes has now just proven he's a player's gm he did a stand-up thing for an individual who got likely forced to come back to him again from cap uh, complications to accommodate carlson they had just they probably started saying you guys need to take Petrie back and figure out what to do with him. We know he doesn't want to play for your team with the family thing, but we got to unload the contract. So Ken Hughes said, I will do it and I will make this happen. And he not only accommodated to move Jeff Petrie and not force him to come and play half a season in Montreal and be away from the family, getting all that, but he somehow managed to get him to the exact team he would want to go and play for, his hometown team. So he gets to go home. So I know that a lot of this stuff, you got to sit back and say, listen, hockey's a business and 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 maybe he could have gotten more from somewhere else, potentially. I would argue that there wasn't much to get for Jeff Petrie at this point. And what they got was decent enough. But I also like this extra little chaser to the trade that going forward, this isn't like somebody did the analogy. I wish I would have taken the name. And again, I apologize. And if anybody knows who actually wrote this, please let me know so I can give them the credit. But somebody said, if you look at this, this changes the entire landscape of how Montreal and the organization is perceived from the previous regime who said, if you want loyalty, get a dog to this. This was a guy who did another guy a solid. This is a GM who did a player a solid, got him to a place he wanted to play for, managed to get something back. Bit of a project. Maybe it works out with Lindstrom. Maybe it doesn't. 
but frankly, he needed to move the contract out. He retained $2 million. Cap is going up. It's very negligible. And overall, this bought a lot of goodwill across the league, in my opinion. And that is something that, in particular, Canadian markets need to have. I think that's that's just adding, you know, the... The, the icing on, on the cake, right? Like, it's Absolutely. just a, it's, Absolutely. It's a bonus. I still look at it as the assets that came in was overall was a very good deal. I, I know that it looks like underwhelming based on just seeing Lindstrom and, and a fourth, and, and typically people don't even know who Lindstrom is. So that, yeah, that kind fair. of, uh, you know, makes it even, makes that feeling of, of it being underwhelming even more so. But again, at the end of the day, bye-bye Hoffman. Now, if there's if there's a way, somehow, some miraculous way, he could find, he could move Joel Armia, then this this was a completely successful offseason for Kent. Oh, this, but it I, was the summer of Kent. Hold, if he does I, that, I, I won't hold my breath. I won't hold my breath. No, but, no. Uh, but all this to say, if there's any player in the Montreal Canadiens that's currently on the roster who's not happy, and I still say he's going to go through waivers if, if he doesn't get moved for a very late pick of some sort or. Our favorite, uh, you know, future considerations would be Chris Weidman. He moves down the depth chart even more than he already was at. Right? He's a right-handed yeah. defenseman, and now when you're looking at the right-handed side, he, he's gonna go lower down. Like, so he's the person that got affected the most by the the uh, Lindstrom acquisition. But I think he knows what his spot is. I think he's fully aware. It's not like he's like, oh my god, I lost, I lost my my spot. I don't even know if he would have. If he would have started in, in yeah, but he in, lost the, the spot six. even as a reserve. No, no, he wasn't a top six. He wasn't even. He he lost it as a seven, eight, nine. He's he's down. I mean, thank you for being here. You're a soldier. You got a cut. You got a year or two extra in the NHL. I think another team would take a grab on him if he goes on waivers. One I don't, that's yeah, like I don't. I don't think somebody desperate. would spend assets for him. That's why. No, I, you're not trading. I'll, you're not I'll, trading I'll, I'll if he no. does get moved, he's getting moved for future considerations. Maybe if that, I can easily see him going on waivers and possibly being picked up. I mean, now it's just or you just have too many spots. But either way, his his or he goes, there. yeah, or he goes. See, I'm just saying, I think he's a serviceable seventh guy, and we have a seventh guy now that is more serviceable than him, and that makes him expendable. To your point, oh. so he he's probably going to go elsewhere as well. And of course, the summer's not over, and the trades are still going to happen because when when we now look at the other. Uh, you know, elephant in the room, the the goaltending. We heard that Kent Hughes spoke to DeSmith, told him sit there, chill. We're working on something, like you mentioned earlier. Something's got to give there. Something's got to give. There's a lot of chatter out there from from in particular insiders that are suggesting that it's more Jake Allen you want to keep an eye on. I'd be very curious how a trade with Jake Allen ends up materializing more so than DeSmith. They, they, can't, they can't retain salary on this. They could. Yeah, so somebody would have to eat the whole thing. And how many teams could do that? So I'm I a think little bit from surprised. A, from, from, well, in terms of where the Canadians are today, ideally they and they would want to move Jake Allen, you know, because of his cap, his term. And we spoke about this in the last episode. I That's just right. don't see an appetite for Jake Allen right now. Um, maybe he wants to move. Maybe. I feel like he might be one of those players right now that he, would, he wouldn't he would mind moving if a trade could be made that betters the Montreal Canadiens and gives him a chance at a Stanley Cup again. But at the same time, I feel like he wouldn't mind staying either. Yeah, I think he. I think I think you're absolutely right there. I don't think he's 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 knocking on the door, saying, "Hey, move me." But I also think, to your point, if he if he ends up going to a team that could that could 
potentially make a run and he's the backup. Yeah, he'd welcome it. I'm I sure think, he'd I think it. he would take a shot on that for sure. But at the same time, I don't see a lot of teams that have an appetite for that kind of contract well, coming as a backup. But we spoke, yeah, but we spoke about this last episode too. A lot of the teams address their goaltending situation early in the offseason, at the early point of the offseason. So when you when you when I see that, there's not many teams out there looking for a backup goalie that's that's over three, three million dollars. It's going to be tough to move that. And if there is, then it's a team that really sees is going to go more of a 1A, 1B type of situation and doesn't want to and wants to have that goaltending depth and, and doesn't want to risk having, uh, you know, going down the season where they lose their goalie and don't have anybody to come in. I think go, the goaltending situation is going to resolve itself as in the first month or two or just before Christmas. They I might don't see have them to carrying walk. the three. I don't see them carrying the they, three before the they summer might have season. To. They might have to because they're not going to put any of them on waivers. I, I, I really think that when it comes down to it, DeSmith is good enough that they will ship him out, keep the oh, two for that sure. they already expected that they were going to have, and they'll get something in return for him. Instead well, of instead of carrying the three, that's I think more that's likely how they to prefer happen. to do it. That's more yeah. likely to happen than than Jake Allen being moved. It, it, the Smith might be the guy that moves, but Montreal cannot retain a salary on that. There has to be a straight move. Whatever yeah. you guys, whatever yeah, team gets why, the story. which is why everybody needs to temper expectations of what the return is going to be. Well, goaltenders don't. Yeah, no, no. Goaltenders don't no. typically fetch a high return to begin with. So. No, but it is fascinating to see, and of course, it's good. It's good that we get this kind of trade action that's happening in August. Normally, a, a historically very dead month for hockey, as we start to lead towards mid-August now and starting to get into hockey season, which is September, uh, end of September to be fair. But still, nonetheless, once you're in the month, you can really start counting down those days. So that's really exciting stuff. Um, another thing that that kind of has been out there quite a bit, of course, people trying to come up with anything to just talk hockey, which is always fantastic. Um, it's kind of like not so much the over-unders. We, we've done that quite a few times, like expectations of what you think certain players are going to get or not. But something that was brought up, and I think it was on 690 a couple days ago, and I was like, oh, that'd be a fun thing to get your opinion on this. Untouchables. Like actual untouchables in today's landscape on the team right now, and there's there's a wide range of of characters that you can pick here, and let's say we leave it at because we don't want it to make it a huge list here. Let's say give me give me four actual untouchables on the team. You can throw an honorable mention if you want, but you don't have to give me four. If you only have one or none, like you currently can say the Habs or or the whole organization today, today. Well, in the organization, but across the oh. board. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Caulfield. Okay. Suzuki. Okay. Hudson. Okay. You got one and, more. Uh, yeah, I was going to go five, to be honest. Hudson. Um, five, five is too easy. <laughs> I want to I wanna say... A coin toss. Oh, yeah, gotta go. Ooh, wow. Uh, go with our new fifth overall pick that we just got, Reinbacher. So you, you don't. But have I'm struggling. There. I'm. Sh 
Well, that's where I was struggling. I was struggling with three players for that fourth one. It's Sloth, Gooley, and Reinbacher. And you put you put Reinbacher ahead of Gooley. I just think that um, I think that there's more upside with Reinbacher. He plays now. This Gooley has always played a very mature game, and I've always liked Gooley. Heck, I have I I have some of his hockey cards. I'm a Gooley fan. Okay, um, but you told me to pick four. And right now, we just drafted Reinbacher as our fifth overall. Now, mm-hmm. some could say Slavkovsky was drafted first overall. <laughs> that's what yes. I'm going to say to you. Right? If that's your but, logic. Uh, the talent pool of, the, of the, the draft that just passed is significantly higher than the draft year uh, that Slavkovsky was drafted in. Oh, fine. Fine. So... You know, when you're hearing that uh, Reinbacher is a right-handed top-pairing defenseman as a, in terms of his ceiling, those aren't easy to come by. That's not to I say agree. it's easy to come by a Slavkovsky either if he hits his full, full ceiling and he develops the way that we hope that he does. But I feel like you can still land a quality, productive winger more so than a right-handed defenseman. So that's why I gave the edge. Okay. Okay. But I'm trust me, it was very hard to pick... If I let three. you, if I would have said five with an honorable mention, it would have been too easy, and and that was what was asked uh, when this was brought up, wherever it was, if it was uh, if it was on the radio or if it was a poll online, I can't remember where this was happening, and it got me thinking. Five's a lot. Five's a lot of players plus an honorable mention, so you get to pick six names with a clean conscience to say I like these six, I want to keep them. It's too many. I want to know. And, and this would be a question for everybody listening. If you take the time and give us a comment here, let us know who your four, if you have even four untouchables, and I will allow an honorable mention. You know, uh, a lot of people are going to say nobody's untouchable except for Cole Coffee. Everybody could be. Uh, you know what? Blah, blah, blah. I, I hope that's I the case because there's a lot of people out there that I, I, I might tip my hat to you, and they say nobody's untouchable if ultimately the trade nets you a better team in return. Well, of and, course. And that, there's something to be said about that because, for example, I will say Cole Caulfield is on my untouchable list because I do believe maybe he won't be a 90-point player, but goals are a premium. They are, and this kid has proven that he's a goal scorer already. This isn't something that we're projecting anymore out of college. We know he can do it. Now, he is on the little bit of a small side, and that is always scary, but there has been numerous cases of a smaller statured player that survived longevity, i.e. Martin St. Louis, for example, who was capable of making a very long and illustrious career. And I like that Caulfield is probably going to be a 40-goal scorer book it. So that's why I lock a guy like that down for sure as an untouchable for me. You would say, which you did, and most would, Suzuki should be my next guy on the list. Let me say this. Love Suzuki. Love him as the captain. Love everything about him. Very likely going to be a point-of-game player in the NHL. This is my hope for him. That said, that said, I'm going to leave him out of my untouchable list. It is likely I will not want to trade him. I am not going out of my way to shop him. But if someone rang me up, and they said, hey, Cole Caulfield, I slammed the phone. If someone rings me up and says Suzuki, I giggle, but I'm like, yes, and I see what's up. That's my take on that. Now, for the rest, again, 
Untouchable, strong word, because most of them are players that are not playing on the team yet. But you draft a guy first overall, you gotta lock that guy down as, as one of the untouchables. The team sees something he they could have taken anybody in the draft class, and I really don't care for this whole argument. It was a weaker draft. I don't like it. But I'm only saying it was it. a weak draft. It wasn't like the Galchenyuk year. It, this it was a very good draft. It just wasn't as good as the draft that just passed. But bottom line, it's the number one pick. Well, so was Alexis Lafreniere, Neil Yakupov. Okay. I'm not saying those guys are good. That, that's okay. Well, Yakupov guys, is a bust. Right? Yakupov is a bust. Lafreniere, we don't know yet. But I'm not in my on my list, Slavkovsky is the second guy I'm locking down as an untouchable. Okay. I am. I am. Now things get a little bit interesting because I want to get four. I'm one of those guys that wants to fill up. You gave me four, I want to use four. So now I look at it and I'm saying to myself, if I'm not going to put Suzuki, which, I mean, I I could hear the arguments and then perhaps be swayed, persuaded into doing it, but I'm going to put Reinbacher as well to the points that you made. This is a fifth overall pick. He's a right-hand big boy, huge skill set, hard to get. Normally, you have to draft this type of player and develop him and keep them for a long time. That's how you get someone like this. So he's my third. And now for my fourth, you said Lane Hudson. I love Lane Hudson. Everybody loves Lane Hudson. Everybody's talking about Lane Hudson. He's going to be a phenom this. He's got the most points in this. He's that. I hope, I hope he is every bit as good in the NHL as everybody's expecting him and projecting him to be. I do. Until I see it, he can then become my untouchable. But I am a little concerned that his particular game will not necessarily translate into the NHL at the same efficiency that it does today. So I'm listening. I don't want to trade him, but I'm listening. If someone were to call and blow me away with a care package for him, I would probably do it. That said, who is my fourth guy? I like Gooley a lot. I do. But you know, my fourth guy, I'm gonna put Kirby Doc. That's I'm gonna put Kirby. I'm gonna put Kirby Doc. I'm gonna say Kirby Doc because I think what we saw last year is just the start. I actually think. In my heart of hearts. I don't think it's maybe necessarily going to happen, but I should fix my camera because it got ridiculous for a second. But in my heart of hearts, my belief is that if everybody was capable of achieving their maximum potential, Kirby Doc is a first-line center and he is a better center than Nick Suzuki. At maximum potential reach. I Not everybody more, does this. Uh... I think that's more of a, a hope at this point. I think that Suzuki has has proven and is still continuing to prove that he'll probably be a better two-way center and produce. The one thing yes. I'm gonna say, the reason why I put Suzuki as my untouchable, I wanna I wanna clear this one up based on what you're saying too, is because I don't think there's a team out there that's gonna offer uh, a better center to take up the first line center role in exchange for Suzuki. So I rather keep what I got and who I develop and keep him as my number one than trying to 
see whatever whoever is going to call me and say, hey, I want to trade. Uh, I want Suzuki. Yeah, but, uh, but this this, okay. this is what I'm going to offer. No, no, have, no, 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 no. There's no center but hold on a second. Pipeline that's going to be able to take over that mantle. But Nick that's Suzuki a that's such right a now. silly way. It's a silly way to lock down a person on your list, though. You're you're saying I'm locking him down because you don't think there would ever be no, a trade package that's that would come one in. Of the reasons. I, he's one. Of, that's one of the reasons. The other reason is because he's the captain. He's been a he's been a good captain so far. He's been productive. He's been durable. He's only the going durability up. is big. He, he's yeah. only I don't want to jinx good. him or anything, but um, <laughs> <laughs> he's he's only producing more. You saw he he had career highs last year of sixty six points in eighty two games. Now someone said, "What the heck is sixty six points in today's NHL?" You're right, but. He had many different line mates throughout the year, lost his main line mates, was playing with RHP at some points. Sometimes there was even Armia up there, and he was trying to find this game. There was a lot of things there, and he was still able to produce what he produced while completing another season. So for me, I'm uh, and I find this cap, Nick Suzuki's cap, is very digestible going forward, given that the cap is going up. So do I... Is Montreal a much better team if you have Nick Suzuki as your number two center and there's actually a bonafide number one? 100%. But today he's our number one center and there's nobody else in the pipeline that could take up that number one center role today if Suzuki were moved. I just find it's it's interesting your reasonings for putting him on an untouchable list. It's like for you, it's all the, the perimeter aspects of him as to why he's the captain the durability is 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 a good point. You're you're right, but like you say, maybe you jinx him and that changes now and forever. We don't know. At some point, people get hurt when they play hockey. That's inevitable. But like, I'm looking at it from from talent perspective, and and potential talent. I think Nick Suzuki will cap out cap out at a point per game. He might not ever yeah. he might not ever even get it. I love his game. I love what he brings to the team. I like his contract. I like all the things that you said. But if someone were to call game, you, how many point per game centers are there in the NHL? Don't have it off the top of my head. Yeah, you have you have certain you have there's certain gotta be a bunch. You have certain superstars, you know, the, the McDavid's, the Crosby's, the Dry all of them. You have and then after that, you have another tier. You have a tier that's below that, where you have like you know, Stamkos, uh Tavares and all that. Like Suzuki, in my opinion, okay, is a tier below that. So if you want to put it in three tiers, he's on that third tier. And nobody's so, trading so, anybody from those first two tiers. No, hold on. So first Montreal off, you don't know well. that. You don't know that for absolute certainty. But the most important thing you brought up is, and this is why I don't understand it. Again, I'm not a Nick Suzuki basher. I don't want anybody to take this the wrong way. We're having fun with it. I like him on the team. I'm not looking to shop him. But the question is untouchables. And by you putting Nick Suzuki on an untouchable list, that means if someone were to have called you, if you were the GM of the Canadians, you would not listen. You would hang okay. up the phone. What That's if, what you're if, saying. Okay, here, let me let me give you a different angle here. Let me give you a different angle. Nick Suzuki, the day he hits his ceiling, who is his comparable, in your opinion? I don't know what his ceiling is going to be. Okay, some have suggested that his ceiling could be in and around, or his comparable, let's call it his comparable. A lot of people compare, have compared his game, not at its full maturity yet, to Patrice Bergeron. I'm not saying they're the same player. Nobody, they're I don't want not people to crucify the me. same player. I don't, want, I don't want anybody to crucify me here, okay? Well, but that's, then recant, because they're not the same player. I'm not, I said some people have compared their game 
And it's just not a Suzuki's not at the mature level of that so, game. So to a Patrice hold Bergeron. On. Hold on. Then those people are wrong. So let me just first come out and say this. Okay. This is a Montreal Canadiens fan podcast. Patrice Bergeron, as much as he is a good de chez nous, has is a lifelong Bruin. So I don't yeah. take any pleasure in saying this, but it is a fact. You are talking about one of the greatest two-way centers that have ever played in the NHL. You cannot compare Nick Suzuki no, to I'm, that. I'm, I'm not. What I'm you saying just did. Is, no, because what I'm trying to say is that some have suggested that if his once Suzuki's game hits its full maturity, that he could be a Patrice Bergeron like or a game that's very reminiscent of Patrice Bergeron. I'm not saying it's exactly like Patrice, but it's it's in reminiscent. It's somewhere in that two-way, responsible but productive centers. That's what I'm saying. So, would you I, just I, trade I, that uh, away? I would no. want to build around that. I would yes. want to. I would want to try to get say Nick Suzuki is my guy right now as number one, but I'm going to try to try to get a number one down the road. Whether it's I draft or develop, and Nick Suzuki becomes your two. So for me, I want to build on that because Montreal and you're entitled too to do many it. Years, Montreal has gone too many years without having the centers. Now we finally have center depth. I'm going to hold that. What if Kirby Doc takes multiple steps next season, and then the following season even more multiple steps, and he ends up showing the, why he was drafted I, third overall? I am not. I am not going against or challenging you on Kirby Doc. You chose Kirby Doc as your fourth. I chose Nick Suzuki. I don't know what, what Kirby Doc's contract's going to be after three years from now or two years from but, now. But we're not talking contracts. But you have to look, you have put, to look at everything. No, no. Put yes. these things out of your mind for a second. You cannot factor these things in because these are things that are going to be dependent on a bunch of other variables. The fact is you can have your, your thought and about I, a and player's I skill. Before. I chose I'm not, and I'm not saying your four is wrong. What I'm simply saying is I find it fascinating that you're choosing somebody who currently today, and I know I'm saying this as somebody who chose Kirby Doc, but I'm ex I'm explaining that I believe, I believe in Kirby Doc. I believe that he has found his place here I do, I and that he too. is going straight upwards. I, I do too. I also need Kirby Doc to stay healthy. Fair. Fair. I just, I find it, I don't know. I guess at the end of the day, it's it's obviously open to interpretation. That's the best part of a question like this. And, oh, and so I'm, I'm, going, I'm gonna be ripped on no, this. I you know what everyone, I hope you're not everyone who's gonna watch this and get to this point of the episode is gonna think that I'm comparing Suzuki to Patrice Bergeron, which okay. I am not. Fine. And I hope you all just heard that. I'm talking He's more about not. I'm talking about the two-way productive style of game that Suzuki is becoming Fine. and playing out to be. Fine. He's playing it, Patrice Bergeron perfected it. There, there yes. is a difference, but fine. Let nobody hold you to the to the point where you were saying that you compared the two of them together as as what they are. You're saying maybe it would be the perfect thing that could ever happen if he gets even close to what Patrice Bergeron was. Even close. Fine, that's great. I would like to know because it is. I think it's a really fun conversation, and I think we're going to get so many different answers. Let's not go and jump at each other. It's fun for, for Vito and myself to banter back and forth about why he chose somebody and I didn't. Let's not rip at each other. And I hope people in the comments keep it civil as well. Post your four. Who do you think are untouchables? And the way that I'm defining it is if somebody were to call you as the GM, you are not listening. You're not listening.
It doesn't matter. They might offer you the whole team. It wouldn't matter. No thank you and hang up. And uh, I, I want to just—I just want to add something. Please don't come at us with saying, uh, you know, if somebody, if a team comes, if Edmonton comes at you and offers McDavid, you're going to say no, no, no. Be realistic. There's nobody on the Montreal Canadiens who even reaches Fine. the level of a McDavid yes. or of a Drysaitel or of any of that of, of any of those caliber players. Like, be realistic. Okay, that's all I ask. Because I know some <laughs> people are going to say everybody could be moved. I'll move everybody if it means we get a McDavid. And you know what? That's what we're talking about. Let them write. You can write it as your first line. Say, it's in my opinion, nobody's an untouchable. But to play your game, Matt, these would be four in that kind of situation. It's fair. In this today and age, you don't want anybody to hear things the wrong way and be like, oh, you guys are such bums. You, you wouldn't answer the phone. It could have been McDavid on the other line. They're yeah, to Vito's point, come on. Let's, let's pump the brakes. At some given point, you have to build a nucleus. You have to have core players. Now, Dubis had his core four in Toronto. He's got his core four now in, in Pittsburgh. It's four. I chose four. It's four. Some teams might have five. Some teams might have two. Whatever. We're going with four. Give me four guys that you think on the entirety of the organization in Montreal that you are locking in. You are building around. There is no way, in your view, you're moving these guys. They are the core nucleus of the team that you're building. Let us know in the comments. Super excited to hear what you guys have to say about that. We're going to wrap this one up, but it was a lot of fun. I hope that there's going to be another trade in the next couple of days so we can talk about that one too. But uh, also let us know about what you think with the whole Jeff Petrie thing. I mean, are you one of those in the camp that are looking at it from a micro perspective and saying, oh, we didn't get enough? Or are you sitting back and, or perhaps you listened to what we said today and you're like, you know what? From a macro point of view, if you look at it that way, yeah, you know what? That was good. And I'm very happy with how this all transpired. Let us know about that too in the comments below. Thanks so much for taking the time and listening. We hope you guys are enjoying your summer. Take um, take a look at our social medias. You'll find us on Twitter, X, whatever they call it, uh, YouTube, across the board, all the different places that you consume your podcast. We're there. Drop a like and subscribe if you haven't already. We appreciate that. And uh, as always, for Vito, I'm Matt, and this was Get Pucked.